0: Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Gentlemen, how are we doing?
1: I got trolled by Chuck Garfine today so that's that's my story for the day i so this was after grandal's single to tie the game at two in sunday's game against the tigers i opened twitter i was not watching the game at the time i opened twitter opened my dms and in there is a message from chuck garfine your guy finally drove in a big run happens about once a month enjoy it uh so of course i sent back the moneyball gif and had a nice little message for him but i just thought it was hilarious that out of nowhere chuck Garfind's like trolling me and giving me crap about grandal i'm like all right I-, I guess this is the day i'm having
0: straight to the dome you know he won't know. he won't acknowledge will not acknowledge your money ball gifts but we'll see to it that he dms you to tell you about yasmani grandal that's
1: incredible. i know i'm like at least acknowledge the gifts if you're gonna troll me too like <laughs> i i just thought it was hilarious i thought i again it's like the impact you leave i guess so it's funny i love it i I love going back and forth with people
2: yeah that is funny chuck will will always have a special place for our podcast given that he was on our first episode and now here he is in our current one still trolling you but it's not as impressive as a story as that but i was at the game on saturday against the tigers where everyone every run scored was in a wild pitch and I was at the game with uh, friends from out of town who had never been to a White Sox game. They were a-, a Yankees fan and a Nationals fan. And I felt kind of embarrassed in a way. They had a good time and everything, but I felt embarrassed just about the-, the baseball game itself. Like, I almost wanted to tell them, like, hey, I know the AL Central is bad, but it's not usually this unwatchable. But at least we won, at least we swept, and it kind of definitely saved the vibes after the uh, the first Tiger series and then the two out of three loss to the Angels. I think things are definitely looking up now. Well,
0: as I usually have to tell like fellow uh, fellow football fans, whenever they have to watch a uh, Chicago Bears and Detroit Lions game, we're the black and blue division. That's that is that's the ultimate argument of uh, when both teams are playing awful. It's like, oh, we're the we're the black and blue division. We're the blue collar team. Like we're uh we're 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 showing up to the ballpark. We're playing hard every day. That's that, that is the main argument you can give to kind of save that. But uh, it's good to hear you guys had a good weekend. Obviously, the White Sox had a pretty good weekend with the Detroit Tigers sweeping. Um, don't know how good of a weekend Chuck had considering Andrew Alberto got DFA'd. But we'll talk about that here in the pod. Um, we have quite a bit of <laughs> cover. That's covered, what I so... should have
1: responded with right there. That's hey, what I should have gone
0: with. <laughs> you know where to find me, Laz, if you ever need ammunition. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, but before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the pod on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at sockson 35thcom As well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Socks on 35th. So obviously jumping right into um, the past week of the Chicago White Sox. um, Obviously, the Angels series was a little bit rougher early on in the week. Um, But the White Sox kind of reeled us all back in with finally sweeping the Detroit Tigers and winning a series against them when, in all honesty, we should not be losing series to the Detroit Tigers if we want any chance of winning the division. But, Nick, I'll go ahead and let you start off the top. Um, How are you feeling after the past week of White Sox baseball about
2: where we're at as a team? I feel, and this is probably not the popular opinion right now, but I still feel kind of trapped by this team in that just when I was starting to feel a little bit better from them taking, you know, my in my own mind, like they're also making the playoffs from near zero to like, oh, maybe there's a chance. Then they dropped three out of four last weekend to the Tigers and two out of three to LA. And I'm like, okay, they're probably done. But every time I think, oh, they're probably done, they go out and you know get a sweep or win four out of five, like it's just a never-ending streak. And of course, here they are sweeping the Tigers. So, obviously, as a fan, I can't help but feel good, you know, watching that and seeing Burger hit the grand slam on on Sunday. That was obviously a great feeling. But I think the real tests are coming now. I mean, they go to New York to play the Yankees for three. Then, of course, there's Miami, which isn't you know as scary. But then you have the Dodgers the week after. So they're starting to play some real teams now. It's not always going to be the uh the tigers and the royals anymore so i'm i'm overall i'm feeling the same as i have been just because it's like it's it's like a non-stop trend of like yeah they're probably out oh wait they're reeling me back in and I'm, I'm trying to just not get too caught up in all of that if that makes sense
1: and that's how it is for me too honestly it's like I, it's still the frustration of i, I mentioned it on last week's podcast and the first game against the angels was a, another perfect example of that so copa gives up Four runs in about five innings, and the game's pretty much already over. He strikes out 10, only walks two. He had a good game by all considerations. Was it his best? No, he kept him in the game, though. And that game's still already over. Uh, So it's, it's still those frustrations of the offense. The offense continues to be the thing where I'm like, there really hasn't been a lot of growth. How many times did we have to watch Alex Lang throw curveballs in the dirt before they finally figured out, hey establish the bottom of the zone. Here's where it starts when it's going to end up at the bottom of the zone. If it starts below that don't swing. It took them three times to finally figure it out. Granted they learned, which is awesome, but still it's like th- there needs to be more examples of that type of growth where you're willing to work those at bats. You you show your approach is I understand that I here's the bottom of the zone is established. The top of the zone is established. I know where pitches start. So I'm not gonna be like he was bouncing most of those curveballs on Saturday. Like it, it should not have been as brutal as it was at times. Long story short is still the offense. The pitching looks really good right now. And I think there are gonna be blips here and there. I think Lance Lynn's absolutely someone to talk about. But that offense and, and seeing some sort of growth from the offense is, is still going to be my barometer of where this team is. Um and 18 games, the next 18 games, New York, Los Angeles, Miami, Seattle, Texas, Boston. You're going to find out who you are and if you're going to be in it at the end of these 18 games. That Straight up, that's how it is.
0: Yeah. And, you know, those teams that you named, they're not necessarily like a murderer's row per se, but there's some pretty good ball clubs in there playing really good baseball. Um, and obviously those trap series, like a team like Boston, which might not be good on the uh, record wise, but they're always a team that you always kind of have to pay attention to, especially with the way Alex Verdugo is playing right now. I um, actually read a really good piece on him the other day. Um but, yeah, no, uh, it's definitely something, you know, I think you nailed on that. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about who we are. Um, I think pitching overall has been doing w- pretty well. You know, I agree with that. Um, I think a lot of people are going to get down on Michael Kopech about his home runs right now. I, I think that's just something that happens when you have nasty stuff and you don't really uh, understand quite how to place it, um, if that makes much sense. Um, I know a guy up in Milwaukee. By the name of Corbin Burns, who was giving up a lot of home runs early in his career and still will give up home runs pretty consistently because he trusts his stuff as much as he do. But uh, with how with how confident Michael Kopech is pitching right now, those home runs feel a lot less painful than they did early on in the year, because these aren't situations where he's completely falling apart once that first home runs given up. You know what I mean? So that's something I really do like to see. And I really do think that uh, Kopech, with his performance on Sunday, you know, even given up the home run, he still turned it around, finished with nine strikeouts, only gave up three hits, you know, two earned runs. Um, his ERA is starting to come down quite a bit from where it was. You know, it was hovering pretty high there for a minute. And um, obviously, you're going to get a little bit of peaks and valleys, but they're, they're kind of settling in a little bit more. They're plateauing a little bit more where, you're, you know, you might get a peak a little bit of a valley you know compared to where we were with the chart where it was just kind of going up and down you know my hands a dolphin right now so you know just going up and down all over the place uh so it's kind of nice to see michael kopek kind of start to settle in and even when he gets into trouble early being able to kind of get himself
1: out of it and with kopek too i still fear there's like a little bit of normalization to be done with the home runs like it's up his home run per fly ball rate is like 19 percent right now Last year it was 9%. It was 13% the year before that. I still think there's probably some normalization to come around that. He's going to give up his home runs. That's just the type of pitcher he, he seems to be. It's about limiting those and letting that normalize just a tad. Um, but, but I've been very impressed, Duke, to your point, as you're the Kopech stand here. Um, I've been very impressed by his past few outings. It's shown the serious growth that I think a lot of us were looking for who maybe had some doubts about when we were going to see it.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, definitely feeling really good about Michael Kopech, but I guess to the flip side of that, we do have a guy that you just brought up Jordan, um, with Lance Lynn, who is really just, uh, really just has not looked like himself the past two seasons, you know, and you really start to kind of wonder, especially with where his age is at and where he is in his career. Like, is this going to just kind of be who Lance Lynn is moving forward? Like, is there a fix for Lance Lynn or is he just genuinely not getting, you know, the pitches that he wants to go where he wants anymore? You know, is he not able to get his velocity where he wants to go? It is he not able to mix his fastballs up as much as he was? Um, Our hitters just flat out, not fooled by it, but maybe by seeing him a little bit more on a national stage than they were before, Um, I think there's a lot that kind of goes into it and uh, it's just really frustrating to watch because the rest of the rotation really has in one way or another, really just been, you know, been pushing, you know, at the very least, you know, so it's been, it's been nice to watch in that sense, but I don't think it's something where we're going to DFA a guy like Lance Lynn, but it's definitely something where we're going to have to start taking a closer look. The more this team starts to potentially turn it around.
2: Yeah. I, I agree with you in the sense that I'm not yet at the point where I think we should be talking about a DFA. I mean, As long as this team is still in the race, which, you know, by definition, they're currently five and a half out first place. So they are in the race. It it, it just, yeah, as an aside, the fact that they're nine under and five and a half out in June is is just wild. But anyway, with Lynn, I think that, yeah, if Davis Martin didn't get hurt, then maybe we have that conversation as as early as right now. But my issue is your your only options if you are trying to win the division and you think you have someone better than Lance Lynn is those options realistically are like Jesse Schultz and Nate Fisher. And, you know, maybe Jesse Schultz, who has looked okay in the majors, like maybe he's good enough to just eat up some innings. But as much as I don't think Lance Lynn is ever going to be who we think Lance Lynn is anymore or who he has been in the past, I still think that if he can maybe just limit the non-competitive pitches, like the pitch that Mike Trout Hit like four hundred seventy something feet. That was one of the worst pitches I've seen Lancelin throw. Probably the worst, just the way it hung at the heart of the plate. Yeah, Jordan, I think you tweeted about that too, right? Like, it was. Just it just awful.
1: sat there. I couldn't. Yeah. I. I mean, I have seen like the reason I tweeted it is because it like it just sits there. It, it's the a sweeper, the cutter, whatever he threw. It kind of curves a bit and just it just sat there i couldn't get over if i watched that video so many times it's like the thing didn't move it just kind of like fluttered up there i'd never seen something like that where i was like oh my god it was when you say being put on a tee that's exactly what you envision
2: exactly yeah as a baseball fan and as a mike trout fan i watched that video a lot of times and thought like wow so aesthetically pleasing But as a White Sox fan, it's like, oh, or is it? Because yeah, I mean it was a bad pitch. And I think that with Lynn, the the key is just limiting those sort of non competitive pitches. I think he had him like 0 2 also. It was a I'm pretty sure it was a Patriots Mm -hmm. count. And I I guess I don't think he's ever gonna be himself again. But if he can just eat some innings and maybe limit the other team to like three, four runs, that's probably all you can ask for, you know, like. It can be like a 4.5 to 5 ERA type of season from here on out, and the White Sox will probably take that since he's very unlikely to be back next year. I just don't know. I mean, my like I said, my fix is just eliminating those awful pitches, but that's easier said than done, and I don't think there's really anything, as, as far as I'm aware, in the metrics that show that he still has, you know, his prime land fastball or anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right, there isn't. His velo's down on his fastball about a mile an hour compared to last season, which was down about... Two miles an hour compared to um, 2021, 2022. You can partially blame on the knee injury, so it makes sense. But he's down from where it was last season, about a half mile an hour. So it's like when when your velo starts to go, your location better get better. He's lost the pinpoint accuracy. If you look at some of his heat maps on Baseball Savant or whatever site you love, you you start to see a little bit more of a dispersion of red, meaning. He instead of being super pinpoint, like fastballs are still getting towards the top of the zone, but they're also sort of creeping towards the center of the zone. The cutters are primarily outside to right handers, but you're seeing more of the red pitches creep a little bit further inside the zone instead of on the black of the plate. That's that's when you start to see pitchers really slip is when, you know, he's always been a primary fastball guy and he's gotten away from that a little bit. To the point where it's like he understands he needs to transition as a pitcher, but at the same time, if you're losing that accuracy and you're losing that velo, and you really didn't have great deceptive pitches in the first place because you were a fastball guy, it's really becoming a recipe for disaster. I, you don't like to be like, oh, he's cooked, whatever. It's like he can still put together good performances. We've seen that. But when you're running out against the Bronx Bombers of the world, I I think it's fair to be concerned at this point. I agree. Probably not going to DFAM. You don't have someone who can eat those innings, but it is absolutely fair to be concerned. I don't think anyone will disagree with that.
0: Yeah. And I think I think not being concerned would be kind of blind to what the issue is. You know what I mean? Like, it's very obvious that we are not getting 2021 Lance Lynn. And that's just kind of the nature of the game. Um, I guess just kind of taking a glance at it personally, if I'm just going to give my meatball take as far as what I would do as an adjustment, um, I do notice, obviously, big fastball guy likes the rise on a fastball. Likes really kind of getting people jammed up in the zone, everything like that. But when you're not, when you don't have that ability, kind of to both your guys' points to hit those hit those spots accurately and really hit your uh, your numbers on your radar gun, you got to start trying to get them to start hitting stuff in the dirt, and that's where these fastballs have to start getting lower in the zone. That's that's the adjustment I would probably try to push towards them a little bit. Um, don't hang anything. Like you just, you, you can't, you know, you just can't, I'm sorry. Like, and I know that's a tough pill to swallow, especially for a guy who's been pitching at a high level as long as Lance Lynn has. But um, if you're losing control of your high fastball and you don't have the gas on it that you used to, you need to start bringing them low, bring them at the knees so they can get pieces of them, get that ball into the dirt and trust your defense behind you. I guess that would be the, the best, best meatball me sitting in a chair. Um, opinion of how to fix what Lancelin is doing. Um, But as far, you know, as far as the pitching goes overall, you know, I think pretty solid group. There's a lot, hard to have a lot of gripes. Obviously, you know, with the return of Liam Hendricks and him starting to look good um, in his last two outings, um, that will solidify the rest of the bullpen, which the rest of the bullpen has looked really good as well. Um, Joe Kelly looked disgusting on Sunday. um, And I, you just absolutely love to see that um, when he is pitching with a swagger, it just brings everybody else up. Um, But obviously the, you know, the elephant in the room. And, you know, you kind of brought it up earlier, Nick, with uh, you going to the game on Saturday. Is this offense, you know, what is, what is the white Sox offense? Is there ever going to be like a certain level of consistency? Is there ever going to be a situation where we can trust guys to go out there every single day and give you the same performance? I would say a guy like Aloy Jimenez is about the only guy I would say safely that I feel confident about what I'm going to get out of him every single day. Genuinely, because he's been hitting really well since he's been back. And even before he was back, um, but outside of that, it's really hard to see with this offense. You know, it's a lot of inconsistencies. Um, Jordan, I'll let you kind of take this point because I know I know the offense is one that certainly drives you crazy. But um, how do you how do you feel like do you think this is where we're going to be as an offense or do you think there's ways we can improve what we're doing at the plate? I
1: mean, for for about two months, it was fire cats, fire cats, fire cats. What does he do here? Is he even good at his job? The hitters have shown no improvement year over year with a new hitting coach. I think I might owe an apology or two to Frank Menekino. Is what I've learned. There has been no improvement. If you look at statistics for the first two months of the season, last year, this year, they're still dead last in ground ball percentage for the most part. They've hit a few more uh, fly balls this year, which has been better. Dead last and walk rate. You're, you're showing the, the, the same exact signs chasing out of the zone. Luis Roberts doing the continual thing, and he's back in one of those phases where it's like, really bad, all-star, really bad. We're, we're back in the really bad phase. It's like, how do we minimize those? What are you doing as a staff to try and minimize those? What are you doing as players to minimize those? It, I blame the hitting coach. I really don't blame the coaches. I think coaches, good or bad, get too much credit or blame at the end of the day um, because of situations like Lang is a great example. The second time they faced him was the exact same result as the first one. It took a third time for them to get it into their heads what he was doing it can't take you three times to figure out like make a pitcher beat you a different way pitchers are usually successful because they can beat you multiple different ways especially out of the bullpen don't let him beat you by throwing 15 pitches 12 curveballs and only one of them was in the zone like the game on sunday gives you hope that they could change it but there's never enough consistency to be like, yep, this is a different team because of XYZ reasons. You've seen certain guys. I think Tim Anderson improving on his chase rates uh, is certainly a place to start. Eli Jimenez has kind of done that as well. But And Vaughn has shown some improvement. I, I don't want to leave out Vaughn. That's it. Moncada's come off that hot streak from the beginning of the season. We know he's probably still dealing with a back injury. Grandal's giving you about a 700 OPS. It's about what you can ask for from a 34, 35 35-year-old catcher. Like, that's top 10 in the league, look around at the catchers in the league. Ben improved, but still not showing that power we expected. So it's like, there's no consistency at any point with these guys. And until you get that, it's hard to feel good going in against top tier teams.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that the, I mean, the White Sox have actually been, at least since the the 7 and 21, mark. they've actually been pretty good in the sense that I think they've been, what, like 19 and 14 since then. And of course, you can't just eliminate the bad and look at the good, but that's a good trend. And I think that's very much, if not fully due to the pitching, like the bullpen was so bad in April, like worse in the league level bad. But since then, they've been just completely locked down, like no matter who it is out of that bullpen, I feel pretty good. Even guys with like high ERAs, they've been good lately. So when you talk about the offense, I mean, beyond just the inconsistency, I think what frustrates me the most is that. They'll often get, and it's the same thing they did last year to be clear, but it's still a thing Well, they'll get in, they will get in hitters counts from time to time Um, off the top of my head. I think there were a couple this weekend with Andrew Vaughn, uh, Luis Robert. And I think that's it for this example where they're, they're up two and one, three and one, and they get a fastball or maybe a juicy slider. just like groove down the middle or a cement mixer, extremely hittable pitch that when they're going, right, it should be a home run, frankly, or, or, you know, at the very least they hit the ball hard somewhere. And instead of doing that, they have like a really careful swing as if it's an 0-2 count and they like foul it off down the right field line or like they hit a weak ground or a second base. Like, I just don't understand who is teaching that or if it's not being taught wide as their approach. I know that might have been something that Menachino like unironically liked was like, or maybe even Larusa, like the whole just don't strike out at any cost thing, but they're gone now. You can't blame them. And it it's just a very simple thing of, you know, putting on your ace swing when you're in hitters count. That's what makes the good hitters so good they're not afraid of striking out or popping out or, or occasionally getting too far under a ball like it's fine if you miss up, but i'd rather see that you're trying to do damage rather than just trying to be safe and in a hitter's count there's really no excuse for that so that's the thing that frustrates me the most i think that there was a little bit a little bit of progress with that earlier in the year like andrew vaughn pulled a home run down the left field line i think it was like in kansas city or something and i thought wow like are they actually learning but ever since then i can't even tell you the last time i've seen a Socks power hitter pull a ball down the left field line, right handed, I should say, for a home run. And that's just what's frustrating. I need them to actually attack when it's when you should be and protect only when it's actually like, you know, 0 and 2 or 1 and 2.
1: And it's worth discussing kind of your point, Nick, about the organizational philosophy. It's like, because it's not being taught. It's like when we had these conversations last year, when it felt like all of these balls were dying at the warning track and the Socks were just you know, is it the baseballs or whatever? And then you really break it down. It's like, no, a lot of these balls that are dying are to the opposite field. You don't have as much power to the opposite field as you do to the pole side. You They probably just ran out of power and it's dying at the warning track. That sort of philosophy of go the other way, see the ball. deep. It works for some guys. I, I'm not discrediting it at all, but Exactly what you're saying. Hitter's counts 2 0, 3 1, 1 0. When you expect something to hit, stop looking to that side of the field. Like that, that, that's, you think Stanton goes up there and and is thinking about anything other than pulling the ball on 1 0, 2 0, 3 0, 3 1? The the importance of being able to separate and adjust in the type of swings you take. Your 2 0 swing can't be your 1 1 swing. And it feels like for the Sox, a lot of them are the same. There are some exceptions. I think Berger is someone who just really is good with pull power. Sheets has been better about that. There are a few examples. I'm not saying it's everybody. But I do think the large percentage of guys who shouldn't be taking that approach, I'm not asking Tim Anderson to go out there and try and pull every ball. Guys who shouldn't be taking the opposite field, hit-to-all-fields approach in hitters count are doing that. And I think that's... A huge part of the consistency issue is because you're not looking to essentially zone up, get in your, they call it a hitter's tunnel, look for pitches there and swing as if it's going to be there and hope it is. Like That's the point of the analytics and all that fun. It's, It's the whole point of it all is tailoring your approach in counts to the hitter you are. And I totally agree with you that I don't feel a lot of guys do that consistently.
0: Yeah, you know, and I I don't think that just falls flat on, uh, you know, I'm glad you kind of singled out a Jake Berger and a Gavin Sheets because, you know, overall, we really don't see it across the lineup. Um, Somebody I really think of when I think of this argument is um, Yohan Mankata, especially from the left side of the plate. Um, the year where he really had his power outburst, you could really see when he was trying to sing uh, swing for a baseball over the fence. And that's something, you know, whether that's a positive or negative, maybe that's something an adjustment he wanted to make because he was striking out too much, but that's something I don't really see a ton anymore. I don't see, you know, Yohan go up there and really just hack at a baseball, you know? And while that, you know, saying that out loud sounds like, well, of course you don't really necessarily want that. You don't want guys just swinging and missing with just these huge swings, but Every once in a while, you know, it's not not the worst thing in the world, you know, to try to get something over the wall. Um, you know, and we've seen that type of power out of Yoan in the past, and it just feels like a lot of his swings look the same. Like when you guys were kind of describing that to me, that was kind of the first person I thought about. And, you know, while I don't necessarily think it's a total negative because some guys want to be consistent with their approach, I do think there's something to your point, Jordan, that your one-one swing should be different from your oh one swing. You know what I mean? It just you should have a different approach for every every single pitch of the at-bat. You know, that's like the guys that go up to the plate and don't swing at the first pitch ever, like ever. That's that's the approach they have in the O pitch, that their approach drastically changes, whether that first pitch is a ball or that first pitch is a strike. You know, it's just, it's, that's normal. And Johan's a guy that I think that's kind of come up with, and I think it's kind of important to bring him up right now, personally, because uh, he's somebody who I think has been struggling a little bit as of late. Um, he's somebody that obviously we're very excited to get back early on in the season um after the hot start that he had but you know over the course of the last two weeks batting 136 208 on base percentage 390 ops that's tough and he's averaging averaging over a strikeout a game that's that's brutal you know I didn't realize it
1: got that bad 390 ops I didn't realize it got that
0: bad it's not good right now the last the last two weeks have been especially rough for you Kato took a really good walk today or on Sunday so I'll give him that for sure but definitely somebody who has fallen off quite a bit from the hot start that he was having and i don't know if that's confidence i don't know if that's something where it's still lingering with his back injury uh, but it's definitely something to be noted in you know in my thought but overall as far as the point you guys are making i really i really agree with it i think that's something that needs to be improved um i just remember watching like the late 2000s white Sox that were just leading the league in home runs regardless of what the record was and uh it's kind of nice to watch him hack at a baseball every once in a while because when they connect it, watching it go over the wall 430 feet is pretty beautiful, and it gets the entire offense going.
1: And I will say someone who gets close to this sort of approach that is missing one key element of it is Luis Robert. Luis Robert is always looking to hit the crap out of the ball. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He is missing the crucial piece of plate discipline to go along with it. And that is, that is the third part of the puzzle. The first is the a swing. The second is looking for a specific pitch. And the third is having the discipline to know when it's not the pitch you're looking for. He's missing that part. Of it. And it. And it leads to stretches where he looks like he does the plate right now. Um, he gets again. I want to commend him for being one of the few who accepts that approach because of the power that he has. But at the same time, if you're not going to add that third element, you're going to go through stretches like this. And frankly, most of this team doesn't have the plate discipline required. So so it's kind of like a revolving door of, you know, this is going right, this is going wrong, this is going right, this is going wrong. It's like, it's hard to stop that when you don't have all three elements uh, of it. Sometimes it's working, sometimes you're in slumps. But overall, the approach should be a little bit more refined than it is on this team.
2: A couple of quick things on that. One is with Robert. I, I do agree. I mean, obviously, he doesn't have to play discipline necessary. At the same time, though, it feels like he sometimes tries to do a mix of both, like and he overcorrects and then later in the at-bat will completely shift. Like, for example, I think there's a stat that uh, Jason Benetti actually brings up frequently on the broadcast where it's year over year. The biggest change is in swinging at the first pitch of an at-bat and robert i think at least as of a couple weeks ago i haven't checked lately had the biggest change since last year where he is swinging um i think that was like 30 percent less frequently or something like that at the first pitch of an at-bat and in a vacuum it's like oh good he's taking more pitches but at the same time i think now pitchers are realizing that and they're giving very hittable pitches the first pitch of the at-bat and he's just not swinging at them then he's in a hole then they start feeding him the sliders alone away that he can't lay off and It's like you're not really helping yourself at that point. He did a good job actually in today and Sunday's game. Uh, I think it was his last at bat. He singled on the first pitch from that bat on what was actually a pretty tough slider, I thought. So at least he's not you know down to zero percent or whatever. But he has to kind of pick a lane and stay in it. I think like if you're gonna be more of a high strikeout guy now and you're not going well, like don't take the fastball down the middle on the first pitch of the at bat. You have to be up there ready to attack. Or if you want to try to work on your discipline, then great. I mean, honestly, that's probably the better approach, but then you can't just throw that out the window and try to hit a home run when you're down 0-2. You know? That's one thing. And then the second one is with Moncada. I, I also didn't realize that it had gotten that bad. And of course, like you know, the, the back injury might be an issue still, but what frustrates me is that we've seen Moncada where he isn't hitting the ball with as much authority um, with him still being productive namely in 2021, and that's kind of what I want to see going forward. Like, If he's not going to be hitting 113 mile per hour line drives all the time like in 2019, fine, whatever. But at least get on base enough to compensate for that. Like, His walk rate entering Sunday was only 5%. I know it's early, and for him especially, it's a small sample, but that is so low for where it needs to be. It needs to be in the double digits, especially if he's not hitting the ball hard. So that's something I'll be watching going forward because, frankly, if he's not hitting the ball hard and he's not getting on base, then the defense alone just isn't going to cut it for him
0: yeah and i think that's where you start getting people really having semi-serious conversations about giving jake more looks looks at third base you know it's it just kind of is what it is when you have the rest of the the offense that really isn't hitting with power um and you know honestly to your luis robert point because i think it is important I, i do like that you brought up the first pitch thing because i've been noticing that a little bit more i will say and I think of, you know, I bring up Paul Canerco probably every single week when it comes to this point because he just did it so well throughout the course of his career. Like, go watch Paul Canerco at bats, even if he doesn't, even if he strikes out. It's masterful how he gets to that point of that final pitch. It, it It's just, uh, it's a clinic on approach. And while it is very enticing with that first pitch, you got to kind of live and die with it. It just kind of is what it is. You know, there's a lot of times where a Paul Canerco or even like a Ryan Braun, you know, up in, up in Milwaukee would get an incredible pitch right down, right down the pipe on the first pitch and, uh, would, would sit on it. Sure. Not ideal. Everybody's like, well, why aren't you swinging at that? That kind of changes when they work their at bat to either a two, one count or a three, one count, or even at full, full count. That's where Luis needs to grow. He's doing a very good first step by not swinging at the first pitch every time, because that was it was one or one extreme of the other. You know what I mean? Now he's not swinging at first pitches before you swing at every single first pitch. And pitchers knew that they were giving him they were either giving him a slider or they were giving him a, a pitch that he hopefully wouldn't catch up with on that first pitch. And um, it, it's it's all mind games. You know, pitchers are going to play mind games with hitters. They're going to see the scouting reports and they are going to see that he is starting to take a lot more of that first pitch. Being able to find that mix, being able to find that one in 100 at bat where Paul Canerco did swing at the first pitch and immediately put it over the left field wall into the bullpen. That's where Luis Robert is going to grow at his approach. And that's where pitchers are going to start being a lot less predictable with him on that first pitch because they're going to realize, okay, he usually doesn't swing at this. But when he does, my Lord, that ball just got crushed. Um, so that's definitely something to watch. I also do think it's important to bring up um Jordan, you brought up Tim Anderson a little bit and how he's kind of improved um over the last two weeks, as I did with Moncada, Uh Tim Anderson, betting 320, 359 on base percentage, seven nine uh seven thirty-nine OPS. Seeing a little bit more of the Tim Anderson that we're used to. Um he's a guy that gets absolutely beaten over the head in the media any chance it gets, you know, and for reasons that I'm not gonna divulge into here, but he's get he's starting to get to the point where it seems like we're starting to get the Tim Anderson of old. And that is only going to make everything better with the rest of the lineup because when he's the straw that can stir the drink at the top, as much as Jordan, you might not love him as the leadoff hitter. Cause he's really not a traditional leadoff hitter. And I can admit that when you have a guy like Tim Anderson playing at his level at the first bat, it's just good for the rest of the lineup because it keeps everybody loose. But overall, that's kind of uh, that's kind of the point I really want to get across, especially with the offense Um, in, in, in hindsight, Obviously, they're not playing up to where they can, but I think there are fixes. This isn't like as dire as a lot of White Sox will probably make it out to be. But um, obviously, there are improvements that can be made. And if we are going to genuinely make a run, that's going to be where it's going to start. Kenny Williams certainly believes the White Sox are going to make a run. Um, Kenny Williams even thinks that the White Sox will win the AL Central. Um, So for those hyped up White Sox fans, you are not alone. Um there was a report with uh, Bruce Levine on Kenny Williams and Jeff Bassan on Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, certainly some interesting sound bites that have come out in the past week, obviously with Kenny Williams socks are back, Jeff and Jeff Bassan reporting that Jerry Reinsdorf is not willing to do another teardown. You guys are gonna have some thoughts on this, Nick, I'll let you go first. How are you feeling about these sound bites that are coming about regarding the Chicago White Sox?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly not surprised that Jerry Ryan does not want to do another teardown. I mean, frankly, I'm not sure I really want that either. Like I think there need to be changes, but I don't know if I want a full teardown. So that one, I don't really have a strong opinion on, but as for the uh, Kenny Williams sound, I think that, I mean, I go back and forth on it because I respect that as somebody who actually like, this is his career. It is his job to assemble the White Sox roster more or less. Like I I respect that you believe in your guys and, you know, you think that you have what it takes, et cetera. Like you kind of almost have to, I don't want to say be delusional because that's too extreme, but you know what I mean, right? You have to like talk yourself into certain things while still trying to be rational. Like that's kind of the fine line of that job. At the same time, I don't like that. It seems like all of their eggs are kind of in this basket and that that soundbite coming out, it kind of confirms what a lot of us have already thought about the way that the front office sees this team like, they, they basically seem to think this team is a lot better than it really is, not just currently, but including last year, too. Like, the fact that they didn't make really any major roster moves other than Ben and kind of speaks to that. Like, it's it, it just, it's difficult because I, I want to be like, hell yeah, Kenny, we're taking the division. I'm with you as a fan. That's what I want. But I just really hope they're planning on some uh, contingencies because with the schedule coming up, I know, like Duke said, it's not, that's like the names are kind of scarier than the records. I'll admit that. But, it's still not the Tigers and the Royals. And that just scares me. I I could see them going six and 12 over the stretch and, you know, getting buried. I I hope not, but I'd really want them to, if they don't make this run for this division, I really want them to have an actual plan in place. That isn't just trading Giolito and moving on, you know?
1: Right. It's the worry of half measures. That's exactly where all of this comes back for to me. Let's say the Sox are three games out of the division with, couple weeks to the trade deadline what do you trade for like what what, and by that i mean what do you have in your farm system that's going to get you something you need like colson montgomery is probably not going anywhere if you trade colson montgomery for for this team that's absurd no one else has really stuck out all that much to the point where they're going to get a good piece for them um guys like noah schultz has looked has certainly put himself on the radar for sure it's like yeah, and there are names like that that I think Michael Suero, who's our minor league guy, can definitely tell you about. But there's no one that's like that good that they're going to get you a huge piece in return. So you're not going to get a huge supplement to this team. And this team still really hasn't shown they can hit consistently. So where do you go? I mean, it, it again continues to be the half measure thing for me, where it's like you, you're not doing a great job evaluating what you have in internally. You're doing better now that Roman Gonzalez is getting more at bats. You're still giving at-bats to Sevi Zavala, who has to go. Give those at-bats to Carlos Perez. There is no amount of game-calling in the world that can justify a 40% strikeout rate. So you're, you're left at a crossroads of—you're not really evaluating the town that's here. The town that's here is at the end of a closing window, and if you want to extend this window, you got to know what you have internally— but at the same time, you're not evaluating that internally, and there's not a ton internally to help as reinforcements coming soon. You're in a weird place. And I get, I, I agree completely, Nick. Like, if you're a GM, if you're a senior VP, you have to believe in this team. Absolutely. Publicly, even if you don't do it private. you absolutely have to believe in this team. I don't think there's anything wrong with the concept of the soundbite. My concern is what happens when it comes to the trade deadline, and somehow it's, they're three games out. What do you do without mortgaging the future? Because there's not a lot here to, unless you're going to trade from your major league team. There is not a lot here that you can trade away to supplement this current roster. You almost have to retool this current roster to, to get it ready for next season. That is my biggest concern with these sorts of sound bites. The, the half measure, I agree, don't kind of go in and like tear down the scene. There's enough here to retool. You got to do it right. And you got to have the resources to do it. That becomes my concern with all of this.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's not the idea that I'm against. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the process. It's like you guys both just described. Um, it, just so I can get it out of the way. As far as Kenny Williams goes, I don't, I put absolutely zero in, in anything that Kenny Williams has to say. You want us to work? Like you helped us win a world series in 05. That's as far as Kenny Williams gets for me. Um, what he says at the bar does means absolutely fuck all to me. I apologize for swearing, but my Lord, Kenny, I, I, I don't care what Kenny Williams has to say. He's just the cheerleader in the front office. That's genuinely what he is to me. Um, You know, with you guys, with what you're saying, um, as far as being really anybody in the front office, you do have to buy into what this is. Um, but more importantly, I guess, I guess with the Reinsdorf point, with he's not sure if he wants to do another teardown, it's not it's not all that surprising, you know, when you think of his age. First of all, you know, the elephant in the room, Jerry's not a young guy. Jerry's not somebody who wants to have to wait to try to get another ring. The entire key here is and I you neither of you guys brought it up, but it's the kind of it's the big one. It's the big one, Jerry. Maybe you want to cover your ears in case this bothers you. You have to spend money. That is the key. Like if you don't want to tear this down, if you don't want to try to start over, You have to spend money like that. There's just no other way around it. Like you have to go out and get free agent talent. You have to pay the guys who have to be here. Like you've, you know, Dylan Cease, obviously a little bit more of a down year. That's a guy that you have to start kind of looking at like, hmm, maybe we should, you know, look at looking to start maybe getting contract negotiations with that guy. You know, maybe if Kopech starts getting it going, you know, don't wait until the absolute last second, like these other teams do. You know what I mean? And then either you are forced to trade them at the deadline because they have an expiring contract or they're just flat out not going to resign with you because you didn't negotiate in good faith throughout the entire process. You know, and we saw that with the G um the G situation last year. You know what I mean? Trying to what was it? One hundred, two hundred thousand some, something, something stupid like, you know, and we see it. You know, I have brought up Milwaukee a couple of times, but they did the same thing with Corbin Burns and teams are just never going to be able to keep talent that way. You have to go out there. You have to genuinely show your fan base show your city that you are willing to spend the money you have to show the rest of your team you're willing to spend the money because a lot of these guys that are already paid and i don't want to say that anybody's taking money and just kind of coasting but what's their inspiration to actually go do something you know what i mean this is why you see teams or you see teams trade away players like and you know i'm not saying this is something we're going to do but this is why you see a team like trade away like juan soto like washington trading away juan soto to a team like the padres that are ready to win now obviously Juan Soto is in a lot better spirits and he's playing a lot more motivated baseball, regardless of how much he's getting paid. You know, when you bring in that type of talent, kind of similar to that like stroke of like excitement, when we brought in Dallas, when we brought in Yasmani Grandal were those top level contracts. No, I don't, they weren't when you compare them to the rest of baseball, but it was enough to get the talent in the room to realize, okay, this team's actually trying to do something. You know what I mean? And, Jerry, if you don't want to blow this up again, if you don't want to have to deal with another rebuild, and if you want the chance to see a winner before, you know, you get a little too old to, either, you know, I don't want to go too much on that, but, like, you got to spend the money to do it. You have to you have to put money into this team. You just did it with the Chicago Bulls. You just paid Zach Levine the max, which nobody thought you were going to do. You proved a lot of people wrong when you did that. Probably didn't age all that well, but that's the kind of the price you pay for being a sports owner. Go spend that type of money. you know. I get sick seeing sound bites from Bryce Harper when he was a free agent and talking about the Chicago White Sox. It makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me more sick than, than Manny Machado because Bryce Harper is fantastic and would fit like a glove on the south side of Chicago. He would be embraced by this entire city. And uh, when you see ownership pass on things like that and then complain about not wanting to do a teardown, spend money. It's it's that simple. I know I just repeated the same point over and over and over again, and it is the same points that a lot of people repeat over and over again. But you're going to keep coming to the same conclusion every single time you think about this roster. Yes, you have a great core. Every great core needs that star to bring them over the top, and that happens in free agency, and that happens by you spending money. But now that that point is over, I think that's a good place to close out. I'm sorry for talking for a little bit there, but it just drives me nuts when Jerry wants to complain about stuff like this and just does not want to the bill when you are literally the guy writing the checks like it's it's like it's like complaining in front of a mirror and wondering who the person complaining at you as it's it's insanity but anyway that is all we have for the stocks on 35th podcast this week i apologize for waffling on for a little bit there be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify youtube and anywhere else you get your podcast also, be sure to check out the website at sockson 35thcom as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sox on 35th Stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We will be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Spend money, thank you, and go Sox.
2: Go Sox. Go Sox.